Welcome to Freedom Church. So glad you are here today. Let's give God praise to be able to honor Him and worship Him in spirit and truth. It was so fitting last week to start a series of messages called Lights that we're looking at from the Scripture in Matthew 5. Because when you think about where we're at today, yes, we are dealing with the fact that we can have a glimmer of hope in the midst of darkness. And darkness was present last night and devastation hit our community. And for you and I, it's time that we light up and we do our very, very best as God's people to help those who are affected. And you say, well, why is that? Because of what it says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Look what it says there. It says, it says, you are the light of the world. Now, what I want you to do is to change the world, change the word you there. And I want you to say, I am the light of the world on three. One, two, three. I am the light of the world. And it goes on to say this, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Then the foundational verse is this in verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out. Say shine out. For all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When Jesus says we are to be the light of the world, what he's saying is that we are to have a global impact. We are to have a global influence. Now, that does not say that you and I are to be the one that runs all over the world. But what you and I are to do... In our circle of life, we need to be a light there. We need to be a light in our neighborhood. We need to be a light in our workplace. We need to be a light in our schools. We need to be a light in our community. And God has deposited, when you become a Christ follower, God deposits his nature inside of us that we get lit up by the power of Christ and we let that out. And it's in there for us to let that out. It just needs to be able to shine forth so people know that there's something different about us, that they can find God through us, not by the words we say, but by the good deeds that we do that praises and gives praise to our Heavenly Father. And when you and I get our lives lit up with the power of Jesus Christ, understanding that we glow like lights, our lives are for Jesus and to show others what Jesus is really like. So we unleash our lights. I talked about this last week about being the light. We unleash our lights by being a reflection of God's perfection. Now, when we're doing things for God and we're reflecting Christ, we're, we're deflecting any glory to come to us. We want all the glory to go to God. But also, we're going to unleash our lights by realizing there are hurting people everywhere. And we, this weekend, it can be no more of a greater impact than that. And that everyone has pain. And a lot of times we let our pain supersede what other people are going through something. And I will tell you, there's always somebody that has greater pain than what we go through. That doesn't diminish our pain, but people are going through things much worse than what we're facing. But also we unleash that light by doing good deeds, whether they're big or small, our good deeds are going to make a huge, huge difference. Now today, as I move forward and I, I got up very, very early, I do that on Sundays and I came in here to the church because God had impressed on my spirit about some things that he wanted me to say different than what God had put on my heart to say because of the impact that we faced last night and the devastation in our community. But with that being said, the same scriptural mandate lines up that God already had me to do. And today what I want to talk about is a no Scrooge attitude. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you here like the uh, Charles Dickens classic Scrooge? How many of you like that? My favorite one 
one, of course, is the animated one with Jim Carrey as the voice of Scrooge. But when you think about Scrooge, in this story, we know that he is a cold-hearted, tight-fisted, greedy man who has no love for Christmas whatsoever. Matter of fact, he don't even care about people having happiness. And when you look at his last name from the Old English, it means to be miserly. Is what it says in that. So, but today, I don't know about you, but sometimes there are people that are what I would call a modern day Scrooge. And here's a, here's a, a video clip I want you to see about that. Yep, of course, only half our lights are working. Merry Christmas to me. Hey, Daniel, we should do a puzzle this Christmas. Wow, that was so fun. Yep, of course, it's one inch too short. Why would it not be one inch too short? We wish you a Christmas. Gotta have the Christmas pillows. So I have to ask this question. How many of you here have a Scrooge in your family? Don't raise your hands because you might have brought them with you today. I do not know. But there are those modern day Scrooges that we deal with now. And today what we're going to do, we're going to take a look in the scripture about a Scrooge in the scripture that is an unlikely character that you might not have thought of, that it doesn't have a whole lot to say about this individual. And we're going to see and we're going to be able to learn from this miserly individual not to have that Scrooge attitude. Let's look at Luke's gospel. You can look in your outline you got or in your Bible or turn on your Bible. Luke's gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Look what it says. It says, about that time, Emperor Augustus gave orders to, for the names of all the people to be listed in the record books. These first records were made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to go to their own hometown to be listed. So Joseph had to leave Nazareth in Galilee and go to Bethlehem in Judea. Long ago, Bethlehem had been King David's hometown. And Joseph went there, and you need to remember that it said that that was hometown. Joseph went there because he was from David's family. Mary was engaged to Joseph and traveled with him to Bethlehem. She was soon going to have a baby. And while they were there, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She dressed him in baby clothes and laid him on a bed of hay because there was no room for them in the inn. If you're not familiar with this, this time and day of where they were at, the Romans controlled the people. But God's divine plan was for the birth of Jesus Christ to be carried out. Matter of fact, forecast hundreds of years before, prophesied, even in Micah chapter 5, verse 3 in the Old Testament. So what they had to do, they had to pay taxes in their hometown. They had to be listed at a certain place, almost like you go vote at a certain place. And when you were going to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, Bethlehem is six miles south of Jerusalem. It's about, from a straight line as a bird would fly, about 70 miles. But in order for Joseph to be able to carry his wife, this nine months pregnant there, it would be about 90 miles. And they would be going all through the twists and turns and over the mountain and through the streams to Bethlehem they go. But with that being said, could you imagine 
what that did to a woman that is full term. Now, how many moms in here remember when you were full term at nine months? Raise your hand. So just imagine you're making your way and you're going and you're bouncing. No wonder she was ready to have a baby when she got to Bethlehem. And so here's the question. Who was the Scrooge or who was the innkeeper? Somebody had to keep the inn that had the first Christmas right in front of them and they turned them away. Did you know that this was Jesus' first rejection in the Bible? The Bible doesn't tell us anything about this individual whatsoever. All we know is that there was no room for them in the end. And the word in can carry with it this is such as a public shelter or like a campground, much of what we would think today of like a homeless shelter. So can we blame this miserly Bethlehem Scrooge trying to make a buck? He's trying to do what he can do to earn a living. He's trying to do what he can do to be able to keep everyone happy. He's trying to keep an eye probably on the needs of the guests. And a lot of people like Joseph and Mary, they're just simply trying to get a place to stay and get a room at the end. And I'm sure it was for, for, the, for this person that was carrying the end, they just thought, you know, I really don't have any room. I'm not going to try to do anything with it. So what he thought, if I turn them away, they're out of sight, out of, out of mind, see? So with Joseph and Mary, can you really blame the guy for missing the first Christmas? And as a result of their rejection, Jesus was born in a cave. You say, what do you mean a cave? <clears throat> A lot of times we see all of these beautiful atmospheres. It seems like a, 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 a quaint uh, aura of a place that it's beautiful animals there. And he's laying on a, a bed of hay and it looks like it's quaint and cozy and all that. But no, it was a cave where he was actually born in Bethlehem. And as a matter of fact, there's a church that was built long ago called the Church of the Nativity that they built it over the cave system that was used to house animals at that time. And I've been privileged to go there multiple times, but here's the actual spot that they believe that Jesus inside the cave underneath the church that he was born. Check out the picture here. And those were representative of the lineage of David on the stars there. So with that being said, you reach in this hole and you touch the actual floor that they believe the closest place it was that Jesus was born. And that's where I am in there touching that as well, believing that the son of God that came to take away the sins of the world was born at this place. So here's the question. Why did the innkeeper miss it? Why did he miss it? And you say, well, what do you mean miss it? Here's why he missed it. When you think about it, we judge others to justify ourselves. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? In other words is, for you and I, we don't have any compassion after we do our comparing. We compare to see what's going on, lining it up with our humanistic side of ourselves, and then we have no compassion after we line it up and compare it with what we're going through. So we judge other people to justify ourselves. Look at Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 5. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. 
And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? I think today the problem is, is that the church world is caught up in judging and justifying our actions so. So what we do, instead of going around and loving on people, we go around with this huge log out of our eye and we're looking down our long noses of judgment at other people in order to justify the actions or the inaction of our lives. And how many of you will agree with me? How many of you will agree with this statement? The church world is known for being judgmental people. Do you agree with that? If so, say yes. So they walk around with a judgmental attitude with the log hanging out of their eye to be able to deflect what's going on with our own sin in order to look at somebody else and our sin being the greater. Oh my goodness, we don't need to have this log coming. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that speck in your eye. Basically, get it out. When you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. Everybody say hypocrite. hypocrite. Sometimes if, and the devil makes you feel like it's fun to say that, right? But he goes on to say, look at it. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Man, we're just, it's so sad that God's people are being known as judgmental people. It's very sad. And so the first principle of judgment begins with ourselves, we got to look at ourselves. We don't look through a magnifying glass. We look through, look in the mirror. Now, I will tell you, Jesus never forbid us to judge others. Why was that? Because understanding that we have to have careful, careful observation of the essential fact that in the Christian life, we can be a fruit inspector. And if a fellow Christian doesn't have fruit uh, ensuing from their life and what they're doing, then what do we do? We don't judge them. We pray for them that God will use them in a powerful, mighty way. But before we judge others, we must always judge ourselves. And there's a few reasons why. We will be judged. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. It signifies a once and for all judgment. And if we judge ourselves first, then what we're doing, we're preparing our lives for the final judgment when we all are going to face God. But also, we are being judged. People are looking at you and I every day that we walk upon this earth, and they're looking at us, and God is going to judge us in the end, but there's people that are judging us right now. And we will receive the same judgment for which we are giving to someone. I promise you that. And it will always come right back to us. We will reap what you and I sow. It's going to happen. But also, we must see clearly about being able to help other people. You see, the purpose of self-judgment is to prepare you and I to be able to serve other people. When we don't judge ourselves, we not only hurt ourselves, but you and I hurt other people that we could be serving instead of judging and justifying our inaction. That's what ends up happening. The Pharisees, they judged and criticized other people to make themselves look good. Now, Christians should judge ourselves so that we can help other people look good. That's what we do as a Christian. So the question is, what is our excuse? The innkeeper missed a divine appointment in this occasion. 
that moment of holy inspiration when the Yeshua, the Messiah, would be born to come in the world to take away the sin of humanity. And the innkeeper, what did he do? He judged, he probably criticized, and then he ignored them. Or where would I put them? I don't have a place to put them. We judge, we criticize, and then we ignore. That's what ends up happening. It's like whenever you are driving down the road and you see a homeless person that's on the street at the street corner. And that homeless person right there has got a sign up. What do we do? We automatically, the human side of us does this. Because I've done it and you, all of us are guilty at some point of this. We judge that person. Why are they there? Why don't they get a job? They could do better than this. Why are they asking me for money? I don't have a lot of money. And so what we do, we judge then we criticize and we ignore. When we're driving, we try to get over another lane and we don't want to make eye contact because we're scared they're going to come to our window. Am I right? If I am, say yes. Because what do we do? We judge them and we say, well, if I give them money, they're not going to go, get, they're going to go buy drugs. If I give them money, they're going to go buy, if they have an alcohol addiction, or they're going to do this, or they're going to do that. So then what we're doing, we're judging, and we're justifying. We begin criticizing and then we absolutely ignore them. Could you imagine Joseph and Mary's family, what was being said, it said that it was Joseph's hometown. He's going back there, correct? So if he's going back to his hometown, that means in his hometown, he would have had family. Why didn't Joseph and Mary stay with kinfolk? Because they would have had some kinfolks in that town, but they didn't. Why was that? Because of people judging and criticizing, word gets around, gossip stirs. You think about Mary's family, what they were saying. Mary's family was saying, well, that Joseph, he's taking advantage of our daughter, and they're just engaged. They haven't had the marriage celebration yet. He's taking advantage of our daughter, and he's gotten her pregnant. So all this milly-mouthing's going on of judging and criticizing. And next thing you know, you think about Joseph's family. They're think, Joseph's family saying, Mary's went out and got herself pregnant. I can't believe that. But according to the law of, of, the law of Moses, she needs to be stoned to death. Imagine what the siblings, their siblings were saying. Boy, wow, they screwed up so, so bad. Listen, the Scriptures doesn't tell us any of these negative responses. But what it tells me, when you look at a story that's happened like this, they're human beings. And what do human beings that's not following the full Spirit of God, we do exactly what human nature does. We judge. We criticize and we ignore. That's what ends up happening. God's people are supposed to be a godly group of people seeking to put the needs of other people ahead of their own. And I will tell you, God is never impressed with our words. He doesn't applaud the, our inaction. He'll only applaud our actions. He is looking for evidence that we are truly committed to the cause of Christ and committed to what His Word says. And faith becomes visible as we live out what we say that we believe in our hearts and in our lives. We are to be the lights of Christ. We are to be a beacon in a world who needs Jesus. And, and we're supposed to be God's answer to people that are going through rejection, people that are in loneliness, people that are going through stress and struggles and strains, and people that are feeling defeated, and people that are living in despair, and people that's been hit with devastation like that just happened yesterday evening. And the result of that is the church should be so unique that we stand out to the world, not as judgmental people, but of loving people who stand in the gap and say, I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
Jesus, and I'm going to make a difference. And you know what? I don't want you to see me. I'm deflecting. I want you to see my heavenly Father and bring him praise because I'm going to do some good deeds, and I'm going to make a difference. And I want you to know that there's a God in heaven who loves you, who wants to want you to give your life to him and make a difference in everything that you do. That is the results of what God is doing. But why is it like the innkeeper here didn't want to make room for Jesus? How many times are we guilty of that? Well, we make just enough room to come to church. But yet, we don't make a lot of room for anything else. And we live these cluttered lives. We have cluttered lives when maybe it comes to our homes. It's cluttered or we got so many presents around the tree. Your living room or your den or wherever you put it at is cluttered. Maybe you're so blessed in the abundance of this wonderful nation that we live in that you got clutter in your closets, clutter in your buildings. <laughs> our calendars are cluttered. Our schedules are cluttered. And the innkeeper, when you think about him, he didn't make room and he missed it. Such a wonderful opportunity. So you have a choice to make. To be selfish and care about yourself or be unselfish and get your eyes focused on caring for other people, which is the heart of the gospel. So there's three things that I, I want to just challenge you to make room for. And you'll be more like Jesus as a light in a world that needs Jesus. First and foremost, you need to be able to plant seeds of faith. Just planting seeds of faith. It's not our job to make anything grow. Our job is to, is to plant it and to water it. And God always gives the increase, as, as Paul told the Corinthians. But also it says in Galatians 6 and 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to the people that we like and we're close to. Is that what it says? It's really easy to, to love on those we like, isn't it? Really easy to love on those that we hang out with. Really easy to enjoy the company of those that we enjoy being around. But it says here, everyone. Everyone. And man, that can be hard for any of us. Especially those in the family of faith. Joseph and Mary... They were trying to do the right thing. And whenever they got turned away, could you imagine the discouragement that fell and just run all over their lives at that moment with them knowing that she was carrying the Son of God? And at that moment that they could have really used a faith boost. Think about that. Those kinds of people like Mary and Joseph were treated in this moment. Those kind of people are everywhere everywhere. And I want to thank all of you who plant seeds of faith in our church family. We do it collectively and you do it individually. And there's so many ways that you and I can be planting seeds of faith. 
Right now, you should be checking on anybody in your circle of life that, that may have remotely been affected yesterday. You should be calling them, texting them, what can I do? Offer prayer, put legs on the prayer. You should be able to touch people's lives and say, you know what? God has made a difference in my life. And you invite them in as your friend. You invite them to your church family. There are those people that just never get any encouragement. And you just simply go to encouragement and show up at their door and give them a small gift and just say, I love you. I want to encourage you. I heard you're having a tough time. These are just small things that we plant seeds of faith for the Lord, but we can take it to the next level. We want to be able to meet those needs with hope. You say, what do you mean? There's going to be opportunities that rise just like what happened yesterday. And God, when we make ourselves available, he will give you a divine appointment to be able to make a difference in someone's life. Because people, when they feel like their people has felt they got devastated like it happened in our community yesterday, they not only feel helpless, they feel hopeless. They feel like that everything has been devastated and there's no hope in their life. And it says in Proverbs 13 and 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Here's the deal. We live in a judgmental world. And if we're not careful, we will try to size up a situation and we will be critical of other people and we will try to ignore the needs of others instead of being able to to put help people out and be able to lift them up we put other people down and we should be lifting them up and giving them hope because when there's no hope they're just absolutely sick and that's what we do. We meet needs with hope. And I'll, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But something else that we want to do, we need to make room to be able to suppress the greed with love. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? When you look at the word suppress, track with me on this. It's, it's where you're able to prevent something from happening. It's where that you become, it becomes apparent or basically a re, you restrain something. What you do, you try to limit something's effect. That is what you call to suppress. And that's what we need to do when it comes to giving love to people around us. You don't want them to feel in love. We want to limit the effects of that kind of greed that rises up in us that we can't do anything. Look what it says in Luke 6, verse 37 and 38. Once again, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I had a situation happen to me a while back that is etched in my mind and in my heart. I was in line at a store and there was a woman in front of me that was trying to check out. She was trying to check out a huge thing of toilet paper. There was people behind me and her card kept declining. And that human nature in me rose up, and I could sense the frustration of the people behind me. Won't you just move out of the way so the rest of us can take our turn and go? And then the Holy Spirit 
basically smacked me and said, what are you doing, Terrell? So I got my card and I said, hey, I said, let me get this for you. And I did, and uh, you could tell it, it just, all of a sudden, it changed the aura of what was happening in that moment, and I paid for it. And this lady, she couldn't even look at me. She took it, and she just said, thank you, with her head down. And she walked on. So many times... We judge, we criticize, and we ignore the opportunity that's right in front of us, and we become greedy people. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Here's what I know, and you'll agree with me. That is definitely counterculture to America. In America, it's all about me, it's all about my needs, it's all about my greeds, it's all about my interests, it's all about what's going on in my life. I'm hurting, not worried about anybody else, my pain. But it says in 1 Corinthians 16 and 14, and do everything with love. Everything with love. Why reach out with love? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor. How do we love our neighbor? As we love ourselves. People don't care, like the old adage says, how much you know till they know truly how much you care. And here's the problem. It's very sad, but it's true. Most people that are not Christ followers, most non-believers, and if you're here today and you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll have the opportunity momentarily because God knew you were going to be here today and God knew today is your day of salvation. But most non-believers today expect Christians to reach out in judgment, not reach out in love. That's what they expect and there's this idea that Christians seem to think that they are better, that Christians have all the answers, and Christians seem to look down on everybody else. And here's what I want to share with you. The only difference between a Christian and a person that hasn't prayed the prayer of faith and received Jesus as Lord, the only difference is, is that Christians are simply forgiven. I want to say thank you so much to a wonderful church family that I've witnessed for years and years and years how that you suppress the greed and you do your best to reach out to people. We do collectively and we do so individually. And I want to say thank you for that. But there's so much more that we can do. 
so much more instead of looking down our long noses of judgment and criticizing and letting that spirit of the enemy take over in our lives, that we let the spirit of Christ take over in our lives. And we're beginning to love on people like never before. We can use our time, our talent, our treasures to make a difference. That when we're being a light, they then look to the true light, Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. It says, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The most powerful choice that you and I can make once that we become a Christ follower, it's our decision to love other people. Just to love other people. Regardless of the love that they ever give to us in return. I know that there's a lot of people right now in our community that probably feel hopeless and they feel helpless because of the storms yesterday. Those aren't the only kind of storms that come in the physical sense. There's those relational storms those, those financial storms, there's those emotional storms, relational storms, those emotional storms. All those kind of things affects us. But here's what I want you to understand as a church family. This is our opportunity to be the light of hope. Devastation that happened yesterday is unimaginable. The lives are just basically turned upside down. And they don't really know what to do and they're just, just kind of kind of dazed at what took place and, and the storms, they come in quick, they do their damage and then they're gone and the question always arises, why? Why does God allow these things to happen? I didn't tell this the last service, but God just told me to say it. It was coming, it said on the radio, I said it's coming to Cairo. Cairo's where I live on the east side of Gallatin. And my daughter, India, their two sons, my grandsons, Zion and Isaac and Shanna, we were in the bathroom because they said it was coming our way, it's going to hit. I chose to go to the front porch. And I looked to the west. I raised my hands in the air. I said, God, please pull the tail of the, of the tornado up and don't hurt anybody. Stuff can be replaced, God. Stuff can be replaced, God. I said, please, God. And I could see in the distance as I was looking west, I could see where the tornado was coming through in the far distance because it was blowing transformers going northeast. And I'm thankful that no one in our church family got hurt, but we know that there's been at least six lives that's been lost. But when these storms hit, it makes our makes a community feel helpless. 
And it seems like that nobody cares, but it's when you and I rise to the occasion and we stand in the path to say we're going to bring hope. And what it leaves in the wake of claiming homes or destroying businesses or doing those things that put bad memories in our lives, I think we'll all agree it's hard to understand. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14, listen to what it says. This is not in your outline. I wanted to share this today. Sometimes something useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. So it's kind of hard to understand. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Verse 20, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can now identify people by their actions. So what I want to ask you to do, we, we had, we've, as a church, we've helped with several tornado situations since we have existed as a church family. And I remember vividly back in 2006 and my daughter India, we were discussing last night, she remembers as a little girl us cleaning up over off airport road and it was just utter devastation. And there was a man there that had lost his wife and her jewelry had was, we just happened to come over as we were cleaning up and the jewelry, we ran into it, was strewn down the ground and we were able to find all these pieces of jewelry and pick them up. And this man was, it's like a whole glimmer of hope lit up in his eyes. And every time I saw him for years and years and years till he left this world, he always lit up about a church family that cared enough just to simply come and be present and just help them and found his wife's jewelry. So here's what I'm asking. I'm asking every one of you to... If you have been affected by these storms, you have storm damage, you have trees down, you have stuff everywhere, or you know somebody that does, that needs help, I want you to put that on a connection card, their name and address, so that we as a church family can make a difference. Now, second to that, I want to ask every one of you that will, and I asked the last service this, to put your name on a connection card that you're willing to help. Now, first thing that comes to mind, I, well, I don't do chainsaws, I don't do that. That's a part of it. If you have chainsaws and skid steers and all that, there will be those places that we can help and do that. But ladies, a lot of times we know that you, you just don't, some of you don't do that kind of thing. But for the ladies and for the guys that don't do chainsaws or whatever, you know what the biggest thing is? It's just being there and bending over and picking up and getting stuff in a trash bag and picking up all the debris. That means the world because it's just not, there's no machine that's going to do it. And could you imagine many hands makes light work? So if you'd like to be a part of that, we're going to do that. We've already been planning this since last night. This afternoon is a wonderful time. Rather than us going home and worrying about watching football or sitting in our easy chairs and just slinging prayers, I want to put legs on our prayers. I'm not diminishing prayer, but I want to put legs on our prayers. So all you need to do is simply, and we will text you and let you know where to come and what to do. That's what we're working on right now. 
We just go and we show up as a group. We help clean up a place, bring it out to the edge of the road. The city will pick it up. Just go and help pick up. It'll make a huge difference. And then we'll look at it as well in the days to come as God provides the opportunities for us. So if you do that, we'd appreciate it very, very much. I challenge you to be a light, not just in the, just in the wake of this devastation, but it's as a lifestyle and of giving faith and hope and love to people that we come across and showing that we're not just going to say we're the church. When we go out there, we're being the church. In our day-to-day lives, our calendars and our agendas, they get so full. And we allow this selfish culture to invade our lives. And, and some people say, well, you know, if I give money to that person on a corner, there's no telling them what they're going to do with it. Or, I, I, you know what, I, I'm just really, really busy. I've got things that I've got to do. I, I, I get that. Or, you know, you think, well, I have a coworker. He, he's having a tough time, but he did it to himself, judge, to justify. We judge. We criticize. We ignore. Or, pastor, I'll pray for those that's affected I want us to put legs on our prayers because I know that we can. And we can make room for Jesus in our church. We do that, right? But in our hearts, a lot of times we're filled with all kinds of stuff that we don't have room to do what the gospel teaches us to do. So let's live our lives not with that judgmental spirit, but we want to have the true spirit of Christ in our lives that we let our light shine, that we may do these good works, these good deeds that will bring glory to our Father in heaven and hope, faith, and love to those that are hurting and devastated. And so today, I've told you about the innkeeper. I've told you about the first Scrooge who rejected Jesus and he missed the first Christmas. He missed the Christmas with the hustle and bustle of things going on in that day. And don't let that stop us for things going on in our day to miss what Jesus wants to do in you, through you, and for the world around you. I'm so proud of each of you that have stepped up over these years and will step up with an awesome attitude and say, here I am, pastor. God, tell God, say, God, use me. God, use me to be a light through good deeds. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We cannot thank you enough for what you're doing. We praise you, God, and thank you for the opportunity that we don't want to miss what we can do to bring you glory and honor right now, Father. So, God, use us. We're here, God, to be a light, to bring that faith, hope, and love to others. As we continue praying, how many of you right now will admit by the raising of your hand just a moment that you get caught up in this selfish countercultural America to what the scripture teaches and we end up judging, criticizing, and ignoring. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I'm guilty of that. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Would you pray for God to God and repent of that right now? And we all pray together. Father, right now, God, we, Lord, all need to pray, God, and ask you to forgive us, God, when we do this. Help us, God to be able to see the opportunity that we do make room to plant those seeds of faith, Lord, that we do meet those needs with hope and we suppress our greed with love. God, use us for that, Father. Forgive us when we've thought different and we be selfish, but yet let us be selfless as you were selfless and gave your life for each of us. Thank you, God. As we continue praying right now, maybe you're here today 
and you don't know Jesus in your heart. You haven't made room for Jesus. And my question is, do you have room for him right now? Because if you're here, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, Jesus himself is going to knock on your heart and he's wanting to come into your soul. And if you know that right now and he's wanting to come into your heart, would you simply right now just lift your hand real high and say, yes, that's me, Pastor. I, I need to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Just shoot your hand up real quick and back down and say, I need to pray and ask Jesus to make him the Lord of my life. Would you pray to him right now and say, Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life today. Thank you that you gave your life for me. You died in my place on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. I give you my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Let's worship, church.